All righty. Happy Friday, everybody. I can't believe Adrian made it back. I lost my bet internally with the people at the radio station who said, is Adrian coming back? I'm like, nah. He'll be 10 minutes late, caught up in traffic. And uh, our engineer uh, says, you're going to have to start the show at the, in, inside the control room? I said, well, yes. That's If he's not around, that's what's going to have to happen. And then all of a sudden, like five minutes ago, my engineer comes back and says, you'll never believe this. I'm like, what? He goes, he's here. I go, what, he sneaked through the back door? How'd he get in? I didn't see him. But uh, there it is. Adrian Adrian just has a way of doing that, man. Yeah. I'm serious. Like, you know, when you when you least expect him back, he just he magically shows up. It's like Mr. Reliable. I don't know how you do it. No. And, and, and by the way, I mean, let everybody know you were at an Oscar Adietta remote. It wasn't exactly like you were just, uh, you know, relaxing with the fiance and uh, deciding to take the day off till the show hit. I mean, you had you were working. You had stuff to do. But, uh, you know, it's. Isn't it crazy when you're trying to beat it back by 4 o'clock and if if there's like one accident or traffic in a town that never has traffic, you could be totally, totally screwed. That's right. Yeah, it's unpredictable as far as traffic goes, but no way. I, I'm never late to the show. I've, I think I've been late once my whole entire time here. So, yeah, I'm not going to be late whatsoever. Now you're mis- I'm telling you, you are you are Mr. Reliable. I, I wasn't doing that as a joke or to say that as a way to, you know, I mean, it's the truth. You are. What time did you get back here today? I got here like uh, 3.45, so I had to do some things. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, you've been here 20 minutes. I mean, yeah. You're comfortable. I was in my office watching the Phillies open up a can of you-know-what yeah. on the Braves right now. They knocked Spencer Strider right out of the game. How about Reese Hoskins, right? I mean, he's, he oh. killed it. What about what a three-run homer to light them up in uh, the third inning. Unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, you, you got to give Stott a lot of credit because he opened up the scoring for them. He had that RBI double and really set up Hoskins coming up for that three-run shot. Uh, and I'm shocked right now, Steve. I, I thought at last would come into Philly. I thought they would beat them at their own home field uh, and regain home field uh, advantage on their side, but not looking good whatsoever for the Phillies. And earlier today, speaking of upsets, how about the Guardians and what they were able to do in uh, extra innings baseball, Steve? Amazing! I, mean, I don't know how they do it. It like, it like fell in their lap, so to speak, against the Yankees, didn't it? And then you got yeah. Emmanuel Classe, who's throwing like two and a third's relief firing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs at the at the uh, Yanks. And, hey, Guardians, big, big win for them. And, by the way, since yesterday's game was rained out, um, they get, I believe, one more travel day, which I think is Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, right? But they have to play um, – oh, no, you know what? Is that right or is that wrong? Because they would play – I got to check. Wait, they play – game five would be Monday – and tomorrow's Saturday, and there's only a three, four, five. No, they got to they got to play Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They would have to play right now, uh, all all three days. They don't get a day off because they they would have. I think they had like a second day that they lost due to the rainouts, so and now they got to play them all. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's just tough for travel concerns, but it's understandable given the conditions. That means uh, we're talking about a Saturday game, quick turnaround yep. right away, uh, out in Cleveland. That's going to be a 5.30 start local time, and then a turnaround on Sunday when you're talking about, hey, it's uh, yeah, to right. be announced, so because, you're not sure. Because they played Tuesday, had Wednesday off, Thursday rained out. So they had th- those were their two days off, and now they got to play Saturday, Sunday, Monday, which means Cleveland, Cleveland, New York, if necessary, to get them all in. 
Man, this is a, a crazy series to even think about because, uh, you know, in the first inning, I thought the way that Stan hit that homer off Bieber, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's going to be a tough one for Bieber today on the mound. But he was able to really settle into himself and uh, pitched exceptional baseball. It's not like Nestor Cortez was bad by any measures on his end. He did no. a nice job as well. So it was just a good pitching. It went down to the wire. Yankees couldn't get their bats going at home early on. And as a result, Guardians went in extra innings. I think I'm not. I got to double check this, but I think Aaron Judge had the golden sombrero today. Oh, wow, really? He, he, threw, he rocked that one today. If if that's the case. I got to double check because I know he had at least the regular sombrero. I wasn't sure if he had the golden sombrero. You know what the golden sombrero is? No, I don't. Take a guess. What do you think the golden sombrero is in baseball? Uh, I'm going to guess it's kind of like a, not like a triple crown thing, but maybe when, maybe it's like a batting title type of thing. It's an honor, maybe nothing like that. No? It's when you strike out four times in one game. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> he was, he was, he was zero for five with four strikeouts today. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That, so yeah, there you go. he had the it's golden, the proverbial golden sombrero. Yeah. He had the golden sombrero today for the Yanks. And by the way, he hasn't gotten a hit so far in the, in these two games, which is crazy. 62 home runs during the regular season. Uh, he's like about like zero for nine, I think, so far in the playoffs. You know, with uh, Aaron Judge and how much focus he put to try to get to sixty-two at the end of the season, I'm not saying that it's taking away anything from the postseason run, but uh, you wonder when he's going to get his back going. And even toward the end of the season, when he was uh, chasing sixty-one, uh, chasing sixty-two, he was struggling down the stretch. So it's not like Aaron Judge has been playing great baseball as of late. I no. mean, he's, he played one of the best seasons that we're going to see from an AL player. Uh, in recent years, but uh, he hasn't played. He didn't finish off the season in exceptional fashion like we thought. No, not at all. Not at all. And by the way, if he doesn't come up big for the Yankees in the rest of this series and they lose to the Guardians, he will probably be playing someplace else next year. Because if you're the Yankees, I know it was great publicity and all that, but do you really give a long-term contract to somebody that comes up empty in a playoff series you have to have? Oh, that's such a tough question. This is this is a great one because on one end, he's selling jerseys. He's putting butts in seats. Everybody's, you know, a lot of people are there to watch Aaron Judge, and I, I get it. I mean, Yankees, it's kind of like the next guy up. Who's going to be the next guy who they end up signing? But yep. still, it's Aaron Judge off a historic season. I, I, I find it difficult to feel like they would actually go out and, and try to get somebody else or just let him walk. Uh, but I get it. He's going to require a ton of money ton, going his way. A ton. They'll have to break the bank to sign Aaron Judge. Oh, and by the way, Aaron Judge is 30 years old. So that means you're going to give a guy probably somewhere in the two to $300 million range. He'll probably want an eight- or ten-year deal in his 30s. I mean, uh, I wouldn't do it if I'm the Yankees. I wouldn't do it. Somebody else is going to do it. I don't know if the Yankees should be the team to do that right now. I don't know. That's a lot of money to give somebody. And remember... 62 is great, right? It's a regular season. What what does it matter if you don't come up big in the postseason? Especially if you bow out in the divisional round, like if they could against Cleveland. I mean, they relinquish home field advantage right now. This is a great Yankees team, so I'm not counting them out one bit uh, at all, like one second. But I will say this, they're vulnerable right now. If the, the Guardians win this next game tomorrow, then, yeah, I'd be pressing the panic button if I were the Yankees. Are they a great team, though, really, when you look at them? I mean, okay, besides Judge, you got Rizzo, who's old. Right. Um, you've got Torres, who's eh. I mean, nothing special. Stanton, who, uh, despite hitting his home run today, is hitting 200 so far in the series. You've got um, Donaldson, who, uh, uh, take it or leave it as far as I'm concerned, the rookie Cabrera, Kiner Falifa, Trevino, um, and Bader. I I don't know. I mean, I I, I will tell you this. 
I like the San Diego Padres and Dodgers lineups a lot more than I like that. As far as the uh, the Guardians are concerned, I mean, they have Ramirez. They've got Naylor. Um, you know, they have guys like Rosario. Um, and, you know, you go all the way down the list. It's not exactly like a loaded lineup either, but I don't know if it even matters because I still think the Astros are the team to beat in the American League. Not the Yankees, not the Guardians, the Astros. And, yeah, I know they flirted with it a couple times against Seattle, but – that team is loaded top to bottom. There is no weak spot in that Astros lineup. And, I mean, all they're going to do is, is is destroy opposing pitching like they have so far in these first two games. Yeah, I guess, you know, when you also look at the Yankees, you mentioned the top to bottom, uh, you know, talent for them. Even their pitching kind of tailed off when it came to the end of the season. I know how, how great it is when it's top heavy. Uh, but, you know, when you're asking your starters to go so far into games uh, throughout the season and now you're, you're getting them into playoff ba- baseball action, it's tough for some of these guys to yep. have that kind of endurance to last, uh, you know, this long throughout the postseason I love Severino against Tristan McKenzie I think that's going to be a terrific matchup tomorrow at 537 when that one uh, gets going that's the Saturday matchup for the Yanks Guardians tomorrow or Sunday you've got Garrett Cole against undecided so that's also going to be really interesting and then potentially the uh, the, the game on Monday uh, who knows what the Yanks are going to do there I mean, they might end up throwing Nestor Cortez back again. Although, I don't know how you can, because if you do that, he's only on two days rest. So probably not. I mean, the Yankees will probably have to go. And if you think about it, if you're looking at, you know, who they're going to start as far as pitching goes, since they're already throwing Severino out, um, I don't know. Maybe they go Jamison Tyon? Maybe? I, I don't know what they do right now in that uh, in that potential Monday game if it's a winner-take-all series. But it's fascinating right now, isn't it? Yeah, throw the kitchen sink at you, try to go bullpen game, but uh, you know, get your starters to just pitch one inning or two innings if you can get something like that from them. Uh, the point is it's going to be tough. It's it's an uphill battle for the Yankees. Uh, they're vulnerable right now. Guardians can take it on their end, but uh, I still wouldn't count the Yankees out. I just think that we now know they're a lot more vulnerable than maybe we thought going into the postseason. I mean, I'll say this. Tyon pitched last uh, 10 days ago against the, the Rangers, so maybe that's where they decide to go if they need it. He won 14 games this year, so – um, you know, that's he and he didn't pitch bad for the Yanks, and you picked him up for a reason. So maybe you do go Jamison Tyon if you need him in, in that uh, in that winner take all series. Yeah, pitched a little bit today as well, Steve. Uh, Tyon was somebody who uh, allowed. Two earned runs today. That's that's one thing that you could say against him uh, going into this one. And uh, didn't get an out either. Didn't get an out. Yeah, that's that's tough for him. But he, you know, he's probably better on the starting end of yeah. the, you know end of things versus trying to close things out for a team like this. By the way, he threw eighteen pitches at twelve strikes. His ERA this is my favorite. Infinity. Oh, when a man. pitcher doesn't get an out, their in, their ERA is infinity. So that is that is great. So yeah, that was Tyon's run. I mean, they they threw a bunch of guys today. They really did. The Yankees went with seven pitchers, and the Guardians went with four. So and Class A pitched two and a third. That's that's terrific. You know, you look at, and even you look at Shane Bieber, I mean, allowing five hits, but striking out seven batters and, uh, you know, two earned runs, but those th- that those earned runs were in the first inning. Other than that, Bieber really buckled down and he was just uh, real dominant on the mound for Cleveland and what he was able to do. Yep, absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, 6 nothing Phillies over Atlanta right now, bottom of the fourth. We'll keep an update on that one. Uh, we got a good show today. It's going to be a lot of fun. In fact, uh, you look at the lineup for today, Adrian, and... All I can tell our listeners is that, uh, yeah, we've got a a jam-packed show. In fact, 
I don't know. I mean, when you look at everybody we've got coming up uh, on the show today, I'm trying to decide based on um, really, you know, Foss at uh, 520 with Vince Papali, by the way. They're going to be together. How cool is that? Vince Papali from Invincible, folks, who, you know, Mark Wahlberg played Vince. He's going to join Foss in our second hour for Cowboys-Eagles talk. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, this is uh, something that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I love the uh, movie Invincible, Mark Wahlberg playing yep. him in that one, but uh, just an amazing story. And the fact that Foss knows Vince Papali, I'm not surprised one bit. Foss knows everybody. Um, and Foss wants to make this like a regular occurrence whenever the Cowboys are playing somebody, get like a celebrity from the other team on. So uh, I said, when Washington plays the Cowboys again, let's just get uh, Doc Walker on. That's right. And, 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 and Foss goes, oh, yeah, I know Doc. I'm like, oh, my oh. It's, it's just hilarious. So, yeah, that's our 5 o'clock hour. Chris Vanini is going to join us next to give us the latest on Conference USA. Um, I don't know what to make of Kennesaw State. Give me your thoughts on this. Yeah, actually, I kind of like – well, this is – I like it when you know it in context, right? When you understand – that Conference USA is transitioning from uh, just what we thought. And when UTEP first joined Conference USA back in the mid-2000s, I thought it was one of the premier conferences in all of college football. I thought, like when you talked about uh, group of five teams, like at the time, you, you had SMU, you had Houston, East Carolina, UAB. It was enticing. It looked good on paper. Now, Conference USA is probably the worst, if not the worst, or one of the worst in all of FBS for college football and then mid-major back. Basketballs, it's uh, you know, it's it's in the bottom of there. But where when they bring teams like Kennesaw State, when they're flirting with other teams in the FCS ranks, that tells me that Conference USA is not targeting FBS teams to move over. They're looking at FCS schools who want to up upgrade and go to the FBS route. That's fine. Let's bring in North Dakota State. True, true. I mean, I mean there's a gonna, lot. If we are going to take the FCS model, why not get the best possible FCS football programs in the country? Yeah, you you bring up a great point. I mean, uh, James Madison made the jump from FCS to FBS this year. They are ranked right now in the Sun Belt in their first year. Now they can't go to a bowl game because that's kind of one of those things where you have to wait some time before actually becoming bowl eligible. But James Madison right now is five and zero. They're ranked twenty fifth in the country, and uh, yeah, they're in the Sun Belt right now as far as moving up from FCS. So maybe Conference USA wants to try to copy this model and try to get some of those uh, splash, I guess, FCS schools. Now, I will say this is interesting with uh, with what Kennesaw State's done because they only started playing football back in 2015. They've had the same coach since the beginning, and in, what, seven years, they've had a 12-2, and 11-2, 11-3, and 11-2 season. So that means Brian Bohannon's got it going on right now. Yeah, they have been ranked in the top 10 in four of their last five uh, seasons in FCS. Now, that's impressive right there. They win at a high level. You're getting Sam Houston State who wins at a high level in FCS. The biggest challenge for these schools is transitioning from the lower ranks, the the you know NCAA A2 route, and then going up to the FBS ranks. Sure. And especially when it comes to resources. It's not just about how your on-field play is. It's how much money you have at the end of the day. Good point. We'll talk plenty of Conference USA next with Chris Vanini. Stay with us, folks. Charlie's back. He's got traffic. Busy Friday. Good to have you. Right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Sports talk. Oh, we're excited about uh, our next guest. Should be a lot of fun whenever we can uh, say hello to Chris Vanini, who covers college football, CUSA, from The Athletic. He's also a huge wrestling fan. 
Hey, can we at least get some wrestling from you at the very end of this segment, please, and, and do it some justice? Do you mind? Oh, absolutely. All right, good. I just want to make sure because, uh, I mean, there's a lot going on in the WWE right now, Chris. It is. Uh, it is. There is. You know, ever since, um, ever since Triple H uh, took over for Vince McMahon, Everybody they've been letting go is back. It's crazy. So we got we to at least cover that at the very end of this conversation, okay? Sounds good. All right, beautiful. Hey, in the meantime, you wrote earlier this week about Conference USA uh, and what they're going to be doing, especially after talking to Judy McLeod. Uh, we found out today Kennesaw State is uh, now the next team in. Uh, give me your thoughts on going after some of the best FCS teams in the country to try and uh, really rebuild this uh, this conference and this football league. Well, it's a it's a strategy that we saw the Sun Belt use over the last ten years to great success. They added Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, now James Madison this year, and all of those teams or most of them have had very successful runs in FBS. So when Conference USA being down, you know, starting last year when it was down to five members and it needed to add more, it turned to FCS. You had Sam Houston State who won the. 2021 Spring National Championship, Jacksonville State's been a solid program. And now Kennesaw State, uh, which has been a top-10 team for four of the last five years in Atlanta, it fits geographically. Uh, you know, they they want to find schools that are successful in football but also have a lot of institutional strength uh, as well. It's a good strategy. I like that. Um, remember, we thought this league could be finished uh, not that long ago, and Conference USA uh, figured out a way to, to stay afloat. And I'm just hoping more than anything, Chris, they don't get too big. I I like the idea of of 10 to 12 teams. I'm, I've never been a really big fan of 14 or more for smaller leagues. I, I feel like you almost dilute the product a little bit. So if you can have a pretty strong core and a strong base and take that Mountain West model and keep it to around 10 or 11, I'm hoping that's what CUSA sticks with. Yeah, I talked to Western Kentucky's president. He's also the chair of the board of directors for the conference. And he said the group of presidents, along with their new media partners, uh, with the new TV deal coming up, they are comfortable at 10. Uh, 12 is still a possibility if it's the right 12, if you find two more that you think fit kind of the mold of what you want. But I, the, everyone I talked to in the league said um, 14 is not something they want to get back to both for travel purposes, for revenue-sharing purposes. It's very unlikely they get any bigger than, than 12. Is 12 that right number, Chris, just to kind of – I think you used the word insurance in your article. Is that the right uh, number to, to go for for Conference USA, thinking, hey, where it is right now is fine, but they're always, they always have to be wary now that maybe teams can move on and go to another conference in the future? Yeah, I, I, like obviously places like you know Western Kentucky obviously wanted to join the MAC last year. It didn't happen. You, so some of the people in the league have felt like, hey, it's you better it's better to stock up now just in case you lose some members. But other people in the league have said, you know, like those FCS schools, they're not going anywhere. You know, the, if something changes and you lose members and you need to backfill again, those options will still be there in however many years that that happens. It's unlikely the Sun Belt is adding any more, for example. So um, at, at that point, I, th- I think the, generally the idea is 10 or 12 at the moment is what it's going to be. I don't know which one's better than the other, but I get the sense that they're leaning 10 unless their new media partners 
are really thrilled about two other schools. We're talking with Chris Vanini right now from The Athletic here on Sports Talk as we continue. And again, if you want to read the article up, it's uh, right now uh, a good one for you folks. And it's a nice long read, too. Inside Conference USA's future amid realignment has league found stability. That is the article from uh, Chris Vanini up at uh, theathletic.com. You talked about the TV deal in there as well. Um, and, and I'm happy you mentioned uh, from people you spoke to kind of what everybody around here is thinking. There's there's too many networks. Most networks are irrelevant. Nobody cares. Um, I, I would almost be thrilled if they went exclusive ESPN Plus and you knew every game was on the platform no matter what. And even though it's not TV, it's streaming, it's easy, it's available, and it's accessible. And if they can put games on ESPN or ESPN2 or ESPNU, that's great. But, Chris, there's been too many ways, and CUSA had their own pay for, uh, you know, those the uh, CUSA TV, which was a subscription-based service. The Mountain West was free. It's much different. And I think fans have just been frustrated because of how hard it is to find games. Yeah, that was a big part of what I wanted to include in the story. It's just like it's the number one thing you hear from fans is that it's so hard to watch games, figure out what your game is on, figure out stadium or Facebook or wherever these things were happening. And so the big emphasis from everybody I talked to is that they want it to be accessible. ESPN is an option. CBS is an option. Stadium may still be there in as well. But I think they understand kind of what went wrong last time, and they want to make games easier to see. They want to get games on TV and get games in, in a spot. You know, when, when the nine schools who are leaving the conference kind of made their moves, especially the ones who went early for the Sun Belt, they said, hey, we're joining the Sun Belt, and every game is going to be on ESPN. And that's, that's, that's it. That's easy. The Sun Belt is exclusive to ESPN. The MAC is exclusive to ESPN. The American is exclusive to ESPN. The Mountain West is not. The Mountain West is Fox and CBS right now. Uh, so you know, we'll see what Conference USA does here. But I, 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 my hunch is that it's probably, it may be either exclusively or some combination of ESPN and CBS for the most part. Um, okay. Uh, the CBS doesn't really have a streaming platform the way ESPN does, do they? Well, I mean, you can go to cbssports.com and find it, or you can just download the CBS Sports app on anywhere and kind of go through that. It's this weird thing where it's like there are new streaming services, but you could watch games online for years now. And you would just, instead of a CBS Sports, a CBS special app like Paramount or something, it's just CBS Sports. So it's, it's still available. That that's that's been around for a while. Okay, I, I just know that if I spend fifty or sixty bucks a year, I get ESPN Plus and all the sports that comes with it. I, I didn't know if CBS Sports has a subscription based service like that, where everything on their CBS platform you get for a certain price, or do you have to be a cable or satellite subscriber in order to pull it off the app? CBS has. It's part of Paramount Plus. Uh, that is where all the Champions League soccer games have been. But as, I, I don't know if the SEC games have been on there or not. I, I just have typically gone into CBS to watch and logged in with, with my cable. Um, so I, I don't think SEC is on Paramount Plus because that's one you got to pay for just to get access to. But I, I don't think that's the case. And 
Uh, I, I haven't gotten much of an indication that CBS wants to do that yet for college football. Chris, when it comes to playing games in the middle of a week, what is the process of trying to go through those conversations right there with Conference USA, trying to do something like the MAC currently does? They play games on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, often in months like September, October, when there's not a lot of coverage, like you mentioned. Uh, what's the process? What's kind of, what are kind of the pros and cons of playing midweek in Conference USA? Well, part of it, it would be revenue. You know, ESPN needs content to show during the week. A lot of times when there's not basketball on and uh, football is a way to do it. So you can get a little bit more money out of it. That way you can get a little bit more exposure to your teams on a national television platform. The downside is it sucks for fans who want to attend games. And that's been the biggest issue with the Mac is that uh, especially the rivalry games your Toledo Bowling Greens, your Western Michigan, Central Michigan, those are games where you can get a good crowd into the stadium, but they're being put on the midweek, and it's, it's hard for students, it's hard for regular fans, it's colder, it's stuff like that. So there, there's a balancing act between doing midweek games and uh, doing games where you can get a lot of fans to come, to, come, to, your, uh, come to your games. And it's, I, I'm not sure, I'm, I don't know for sure if it's going to happen, but it's just something that was floated to be my floated to me by multiple people in the league as something that's a possibility if, if they wanted to maybe get some more money out of the deal. More with Chris Vanini as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, right back to Adrian. Let's get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Much. We're back with Chris Vanini right now from The Athletic talking CUSA. When you talked to Judy, did she ever express any regret in trying to pursue that legal action against the schools that left uh, for the Sun Belt? Uh, I didn't ask her directly about whether or not she regretted it. I just, I think everybody kind of understood, you know, the league wanted to enforce its by its, its bylaws as best it could to prevent precedent of everybody leaving whenever they want. I was kind of surprised it got as far as it did. Uh, I talked to lawyers early on in that process and they're like, the local courts are going to side with the schools. That's just, it's, it's what's going to happen. And I'm sure nobody wants to get to discovery on that. And that's exactly what ended up happening I'm, I'm, i am kind of surprised Conference tuesday pushed it as far as it did but that was kind of the th- thinking behind it. it didn't want to set this kind of precedent but when you don't have a grant of rights type of deal it makes it a bit easier to get out now i understand i understand well look things are setting up for conference usa different teams some uh, different areas but all in all it looks like the league will be stable enough uh, and, and as far as utep goes hey uh, having new mexico state in the same league for the first time since the early 60s actually gives these two schools uh, legitimate travel partners, which, let's be honest, when everybody's had to come to El Paso to play UTEP, there was nothing near El Paso. So now you come and you can knock out Las Cruces and El Paso, especially in basketball. It, it You couldn't ask for anything better than that. Yes, that, that was a big part. I, I talked to Mario Mocha, the AD at New Mexico State, about that, and he's like, forever at New Mexico State, the location – geography was uh, a negative that it hurt us and everything. You know, they got kicked out of the Sun Belt, they stayed independent, you know, they wanted to get into a league, but it never fit. And then the opportunity arose and the, the ability to be a travel partner with uh, uh, UTEP ended up being the perfect situation. So it, it finally worked out for them. And like you said, it creates a travel partner and it, it can ease a lot of the travel issues that had previously been uh, a problem when you were just going to UTEP. You mentioned two potential teams that could eventually join Conference USA down the line as contenders, Tarleton State, Eastern Kentucky. What's the appeal for both these schools? Yeah, uh, well, Eastern Kentucky's been a really good 
football program for a while. It was a finalist to join the Sun Belt back in 2015 uh, when, uh, when Coastal Carolina got, uh, got the spot instead. Uh, Tarleton State, it's still transitioning up from D2 to D1, but it's got a lot of money behind it. It's got a, it's got a stadium size that's good. They've been pretty good in football. They've got a really aggressive administration that, that's trying to build this thing really, really fast. Uh, so they've still got two years left in that reclassification process, but by 2024 they would be okay. So they're one. East Kentucky's pushing. Stephen F. Austin and McNeese are names that have been around, but they don't really quite have the resources. It sounds like Missouri State is possible as well, but you kind of hear that Missouri State may be more interested in another conference, uh, like the Sun Belt or something, instead of Conference USA. And just the way it was kind of described to me from from people around the league is that. Just because you want into Conference USA doesn't mean you're a contender. And even and, and schools that maybe don't want to come in are schools that Conference USA is going to pursue and recruit as well. So there's kind of you got to kind of consider where things are coming from in terms of the possible options. Does North Dakota State ever go uh, Division One FBS, or do they just stay FCS for now? Well, you need the thing is you need an invitation to move up. That's always been the thing. Liberty got a waiver because they have so much money they were going to be fine. But that that's that's the biggest issue with the, the, all these schools can say they they have plans to move up to FBS, but you got to get the invitation. You know, James Madison is a school that had had invitations in the past, but kind of passed on it because it, it didn't really want to. But most schools don't have standing invitations like that. North Dakota State, where do they fit? They only fit in the Mountain West, really. And so yep. you know, if if Boise and San, or San Diego, some of them are, are something go to the Pac-12 and the Mountain West feels like it needs to add schools. Uh, that could be a possibility, but even still, it's still way far out of the way from pretty much every conference, uh, even the Mountain West at the moment. So that's kind of where they're at at the, the moment. I've been meaning to talk to some more people there about kind of what they want to do, but you know, you can't really move up unless someone wants you. What happens to the Mountain West, Chris? Do you think they eventually add Oregon State and Washington State if the Pac-12 collapses like some people predict? Or will they lose a Fresno and San Diego State to potentially replace USC and UCLA if the league can find a way to stay together? Well, it kind of depends on two or three different things, one of which is does the Big Ten expand and when? And if the Big Ten expands and adds some schools, Pac-12 schools, Pac-10 schools, then you'll see some of those Pac-10 schools jump to the Big 12, the other ones, and that'll probably leave Washington State and Oregon State most likely out there. Um, but if it doesn't happen, if it slows down, then maybe things stay where they are. I don't yet know if the Pac-10 or 12 will expand if it stays at 10. It may just end up staying at 10. It may, it may not go to 12 and add anybody. So there's like three or four things that need to happen first, and the Mount West is just kind of sitting and waiting to see what happens. Either Either it'll be a Landing spot if the league falls, if the Pac-12 falls apart, or it could be candidates to lose members if it doesn't. It, it kind of doesn't really have any control over what happens. It's just waiting for something to happen. Chris Vanini with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Again, check out the article he's got at CUSA uh, up at uh, theathletic.com. All right, let's wrap it up. We'll talk a little wrestling with you right now. Um, I know you're a big WWE guy. I don't know about AEW with you, but are you happy with the new direction? Uh, that is uh, that has gone on over the last uh, month or two, ever since uh, the the blockbuster news broke on Vince and Triple H uh, took over things. 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I also do a wrestling podcast every week called uh, Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and it's just it's been a lot more fun over the last couple of months. Just the stories are more interesting. The characters are more interesting. The wrestling is a bit longer and better. The pay-per-views have been good. We've had a lot of surprise returns. I mean, it's, you know, for, for years, for almost a decade now, fans have wanted Triple H to take over the day-to-day you know, creative direction of the company. And, and, and he finally has, and it so far has lived up to what, what people have wanted. I mean, the, not everything's perfect. There are things I would like to see more. I don't like that Roman Reigns is only on TV every other week. But in terms of the, 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 the show-to-show quality, it's definitely much improved, and you're seeing it in the TV ratings. Nice. As far as the uh, podcast goes, was that available on uh, pretty much every platform? Are you solo on that? Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's available anywhere. The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, I do it with uh, Adam Silverstein from CBS Sportsman. and I've been doing that for two, almost three years now. So it's a place I, I talk wrestling as well. Do you guys get guests on, or is it just mostly the two of you going back and forth? We do some interviews, not really during football season because we're both too busy with that, but we've you know, we've talked to Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Seth Rollins, stuff nice. like that in, in the past few years. Are you happy Bray Wyatt is back in WWE? I am, and I'm curious to see tonight kind of what it means. You know, we didn't, we didn't really get much last Saturday, got nothing on Monday, and so we'll see, I guess, tonight what exactly this all is. Uh, he's obviously one of the most creative guys in the company. I actually wrote a story about him uh, for The Athletic a couple of years ago because he played football at Troy, and he was a junior college All-American, too, so I wrote a story kind of about his football playing days uh, as well, so now I can kind of get some more <laughs> get some more. Uh, juice out of that story now that he's back in the company. I love it. You know, between him, Roman Reigns, there's quite a few of them, aren't there, that uh, were actually pretty good football players before they transitioned to wrestling. There there are a lot, and that's why WWE has made a big push uh, over the past year to get into college athletics with NIL. It, sound, it signs players to NIL deals to try to get them to become wrestlers in the future as well. So they're making a big push uh, into all this and really jumping on college athletics. Do we really ever want to see Dwight Howard get into WWE after that tryout he did during SummerSlam? Uh, maybe. I'd, I'd have to see more. I mean, it's not, it can't really be like a funny gimmicky type of thing. But, you know, Bronco Nagurski was a, a wrestler. You know, we, we've seen you know, Kurt Angle was a gold medal wrestler, be, be, became, uh, became this. So we've seen real athletes from other sports, you know, at the highest level come into WWE later in their career and succeed. So I think it's certainly possible, but it kind of needs to be done in a serious type of thing and not in a, oh, look, it's funny that Dwight Howard is wrestling type of way. That's true. And the last great uh, wrestler that had played basketball, probably Kevin Nash, who played college ball, and The Undertaker did too. And uh, they went from playing college basketball to a, a really successful career as wrestlers. Yeah, and Shaq, Shaq, I mean, Shaq hasn't wrestled a ton, but he shows up in wrestling from time to time. And so, you know, you, you, you need big, you know, big men are, are, are part of the business. And so there's always a spot for that. Good job, Chris. Appreciate the time. Thanks for chatting with us. We'll look forward to having you back on down the road. Yep, thanks for having me. Chris Vanini, folks, check him out. Theathletic.com as we continue here on Sports Talk. Come back to wrap up hour one of three. Still a lot more in store for you, and it's all coming up here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk, 49 past. We want you to listen to a little extra heart here on the show, which we did. Sometimes we enjoy uh, music as much as you do, even though I know it's a sports radio show. Yeah, we get it. We do. 
505-6009, that is our telephone number. Hey, uh, Braves finally get themselves a run. One run. But, hey, they'll take it, right? Uh, Aaron Nola's been pitching great. Uh, just one earn, uh, one unearned run through six with six strikeouts and only 88 pitches thrown. He's been money. Yeah, he really has. And um, you just look at kind of like the way that the Phillies took control in the third inning with those six runs. That's really catapulted to them. Other than that, it's been great pitching across the board. I mean, both teams have, have shown that they've got some good arms. But, uh, yeah, Braves barely getting on the board. Only four hits to show for themselves today. Now you're right, 100%. Uh, give me your thoughts on this Kennesaw State move. I mean, the more I look at them, I'm pretty impressed. They've only been playing football since, like, 2016. And you see what they've done in a very short amount of time. They've been winning. Now, it's a huge jump going from where they're going to be to Division One. but we have seen plenty of successful FCS programs, UTSA to name one, recently, that when they make the jump, do really, really well for themselves. And you even mentioned this year um, a school that just took the jump and is doing terrific. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. James Madison, who's ranked 25th in the country right now at 5-0. and uh, You look at others in the Sun Belt. I, I think they're a great example of success with this. Coastal Carolina is one that's had a lot of success over the past couple years. You also even look at others uh, in, in uh, the Sun Belt, like Georgia Southern, who was also an FCS school that was uh, promoted, uh, you know, and, and actually is now FBS when it comes to football. Now, yep. I think Kennesaw is going to be a great market for Conference USA to tap in. We're talking about the Atlanta market of 40,000 students, a lot of enrollment there. Um, you, you just need more uh, kind of newness in Conference USA right now. And hey, just members to give yourself a little bit of insurance policy. But don't add just to add. Add to improve the quality of your league. And if Kennesaw State can do what James Madison is doing and give Conference USA another power to go along with Liberty, who's coming in, and and Hugh Freeze and Jacksonville State with Rich Rodriguez, it definitely makes things kind of interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I think people are quick to say, well, Conference USA is the worst. Like, there's really nothing to to show for this conference. But I, I, I beg to differ with when you just look at the teams who are leaving, the quality of, of football that's actually exiting the conference. You have some some duds in the mix. You have like, you know, Old Dominion to Southern Miss. You have, of course, uh, teams like Rice, who's who's on the way out. Uh, Charlotte, who's on the way out as well. M- those schools might have money. Those universities might have been more aggressive in trying to leave, yeah. but I'm not thinking those are necessarily like quality universities that G- Conference USA is losing. Sure, UTSA and UAB, those are quality schools that that the, uh, Conference USA is losing, but they're replacing them with you know best of the best when it comes to FCS, and maybe that's the whole idea behind it. I mean, maybe so. And and it's interesting when I brought up North Dakota State, isn't it? How Chris said, well, you got to get invited first. You would think that North Dakota State would be invited years ago because of how good they are, but maybe because of where they're located, you you know, Conference USA can't invite them because there's nobody near uh, where they're at, and it would be a they would just be out in an island unless you took a Montana and let them go as travel partners the way UTEP and New Mexico State is going to be. So I understand it a little bit. And then if you're North Dakota State, you got to pay to fly all over the country in these games, which it would cost them a fortune considering how they're, from a travel cost, it's much more convenient playing in the league they're in right now for FCS. Yeah, I feel like if the Mountain West looked at the Sun Belt and Conference USA and really wanted to model themselves or, or just acquire some more universities if they ever needed to, then they go after this kind of model and they say, yeah, let, let's get 
North Dakota State to move up from FCS. They've dominated year over year. Why not bring them up to the Mountain West? That wouldn't be a bad travel situation for North Dakota State there. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. All right, uh, look, we got a lot more in store for you as we continue over the next couple of hours here on Sports Talk. Uh, Excited about 520, 25 minutes from now. That's when the Foss and Vince Papali are going to join us. uh, Coming up in a great conversation that we're looking forward to with those uh, two guys, and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, We've never had Vince Papali on the show, Um, yet you talk about the year Glory Road came out in 2006. That's the same exact year that uh, Disney also released Invincible starring Mark Wahlberg. So pretty cool piece of trivia that both of those sports movies came out in the same year from Disney. Yeah, great great sports trivia right there. I had no clue that was the case. Uh, great movie, Invincible. Great movie, of course, Glory Road. All-timer right there. Uh, but yeah, I can't wait to talk about this with Foss. 2006, man. man. I feel like it was just yesterday. I was on the steps at Memorial Gym talking to Don Haskins and Josh Lucas together about what it was like for Josh to play Coach Haskins. Oh, that is so neat. That's a great uh, throwback right there. And I I feel like that was just yesterday we did that. It's crazy. So that's all coming up right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. So says Adrian Broaddus getting ready. He's going to be going out tonight for high school football. Which high school game are you covering tonight, my friend? I'll be on the west side of El Paso covering our 915 Tours Game of the Week. Franklin hosting Eastlake in what could be the district championship game for 1-6-A. Oh, I like that. That's going to be fun. At Franklin. That's right. That most definitely. All right. Very nice. Very, very nice. So while uh, you do that, we'll hold the fort down here in our 6 o'clock hour. I'm, I'm excited about that. By the way, we have good high school football games tonight. It's going to be a good one as we get into the middle of October. That's right. It's already week eight, which I'm really, uh, yeah, I'm really surprised by that. I mean, we've got a game right now that has uh, one six a playoff implications between Americas and El Dorado, albeit both the teams kind of looking outside uh, of the playoff race right now with Eastwood getting a big victory over the Trailblazers last week. But still, these teams are hanging on uh, to try to get a playoff spot. You got a big Montwood Pebble Hills matchup right after that one out at the Saturday. Uh, and then you've got other teams that are just trying to hang on when it comes to their district uh, playoff race. You've got Canyon Tio Andrus, which is now a district uh, game, and it's always mm. been a non-district game. El Paso High, who's, which started 3-0 and on the year, they're reeling. They, they've lost three straight because of some injuries to them, but they've got Jefferson tonight at home, so maybe the Tigers can bounce back and try to keep their playoff hopes alive. And just a lot of other great games like Chapin Burgess, two teams who really want to make the playoffs, uh, they're battling it out tonight as well. Mark Miller came back last week out of retirement. We had a good time talking to Mark. Is Mark back this uh, tonight or is it going to be Bo Bagley? So Mark is back tonight again so we're, we're really good. excited about that. Yeah, back to back and I hear I hear he's doing another one late October. A little vacation and a uh, little unavailability by Bo Bagley. Nice. Nice. Mark Miller. By the way, I don't know did you, you were in um, New Orleans last week. Did you hear about the discussion on the radio with Mark when no, he came on? No. No. What happened? Full deep dive into his professional baseball career. Oh wow! Oh yeah. Okay, so it's like uh, we were talking. We were talking about guys in the big leagues that he played with and what it was like for him uh, back when he was uh, playing minor league ball. And you should have seen Paul McKinnon's face. He was blown away because he had no idea when we started getting into the depth of it. Just because Paul, you know, knows a lot of the same guys that that uh, Mark played with because he followed baseball at that time. So it was pretty cool uh, getting a chance to go back to yesteryear and letting Mark. uh, 
tell us about what it was like uh, playing pro ball in the mid to late 70s. You know, he was telling us that he plays some really competitive fast-pitch fast softball for, uh, you know, 60-plus-year-old people, and uh, he's playing against, like, great people. Like, he goes national tournaments. This isn't just kind of, like, whatever. No, these are, like, national tournaments that he's part of. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised to hear this, but I, I'd be, I would be surprised to hear all the great talents like he's played with. He's playing hardball still. Man. That's so, so you cool. know, it's fast pitch softball. He plays hardball. That, so. Wow, that's awesome. My goal was to hit fifty so I could start playing with Miller in the uh, fifty and over league. But the problem is, is that when I hit fifty, he's hitting another milestone in age. And I mean, I'm hoping he still keeps playing so we can get a chance to play alongside each other. It'd be great. Oh man, that that sounds like a lot of fun. Those games sound really competitive, Steve. By oh, the they way, are. let me tell you something. Getting into the batting cage with Mark Miller and taking batting practice is competitive. Oh wow! Really? Oh yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. So yeah. He still can swing some lumber, let me tell you. There's no doubt about that. And I've had a chance to do that over the last couple of years, and that was a lot of fun. So. Oh, man, that's so cool. And I'm so happy that Mark Miller is filling in uh, today. We got a couple of reporters who are out this week, but we got some great games. So uh, tonight should be a great night of football Friday night. We don't have as many out this week as we did last week. Right. Is Coney right. back this week, or uh, is he still out? I, I think he's still out this week, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And, and we got several others who are not available this week, but we got pretty much a full force next week. So uh, not a lot of games this week, so fortunate for us, but some really significant ones to keep an eye out for. All right. I'm excited about that. That'll be good. We'll look forward to that and uh, get you ready for uh, what is going to be a busy, busy night of uh, high school football here in El Paso with Football Friday Night. It gets underway 7 o'clock with Mark and Paul in our 600 ESPN El Paso uh, Lubingo Oil Changer Studio. And uh, that's right, folks. If you just heard that last uh, line, Lubingo Oil Changer Studio. That's right. Um, by the way, and this is the most important thing to mention, that as Lubingo has proudly served the El Paso area for more than 45 years, they uh, recently announced a partnership with Oil Changers. So together, Lubingo and Oil Changers provide an oil change experience that stands out from the rest. In fact, in just 15 minutes, they'll change your oil, replace the used filter, adjust your tire pressure, check fluid levels, clean your windshield, and more, all while you relax in the comfort of your own car. Love that. So, uh, yeah, a lot of really cool things going on with our Lubingo Oil Changer Studio as we continue here on this uh, Friday edition of the program. Meanwhile, no UTEP uh, football this weekend. They're on a bye week. Last night was the Eastwood High workout. And from what we heard from UTEP Zay and all the uh, subsequent uh, photos and, uh, and, and comments on, on uh, the tube, it looked like that was a big hit for El Paso last night. Yeah, it did. I, I loved how Joe Golding even invited fans afterwards onto the court to like sign autographs and meet players face-to-face. Like That's the kind of interaction that I think fans are always asking for from the UTEP side of things. I, I think it's awesome that they're doing this. Awesome that they engage with the community, went to the east side of El Paso, Great gave great accessibility to all the fans that were out there, and uh, I really liked the clips that we saw. Like, you, you know, I know Zay said defensive intensity, but even the some of the clips that he just put, like, hey, uh, here are some clips of the scrimmage. You could see how how uh, you know defensive centric this team looks uh, from first glance. Oh yeah, absolutely right, and um, that's going to be their calling card. And we we noticed it when we were watching practice, and I think that's clearly the case right now. You're going to see a team that will suffocate you defensively, uh, give you everything they've got. 
They'll work for it on offense. This is not going to be a team that things are going to come easy on the offensive side, but I do believe that their defensive pressure will be rewarded with offensive transition baskets. I think that could be the kind of identity we see this season. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that this is similar to last year. It's going to be growing pains early on. They're, they're going to have their lumps. They're going to struggle in November, December. They're going to surprise a lot of fans at certain times as well. But it's going to take time for this team to adjust. And mm-hmm. if you talk to these guys individually, they'll tell you that this team chemistry is far along right now. But at the same time, when the lights are on, when you're playing against another team, that's where your team, that's where your team chemistry is actually built. That's where you can actually grow upon those kinds of things. And UTEP's got a tough schedule to start things off. So I'm curious to see how, you know, how practice will ramp up in the final weeks leading into Texas, uh, which is Monday, November 7th. I am too. And by the way, I found something interesting out today um, when I got a hold of Billy Gillespie to ask him if he's going to be in El Paso for uh, next Saturday's not-so-secret scrimmage that's closed uh, to the fans and the media and everybody else uh, between UTEP and Tarleton State. I found out that that scrimmage will not be played in El Paso. It will be in Odessa. So maybe the midway point for these two teams, Adrian, having the opportunity to play out there uh, in Odessa, which means for El Paso, for UTEP, they're not playing a home game this year. They're going to go play Tarleton um, at a neutral site, and then they'll play uh, in Lubbock a week uh, from uh, from the 20th. I guess on the 29th, it's two weeks from tomorrow, they'll be going up uh, against Texas Tech. So uh, no home scrimmages. Instead, the Odessa scrimmage with Tarleton and then Lubbock the week later going up against Texas Tech. Yeah, I, I think this is real interesting. And just knowing the quality road opponents UTEP has in their non-conference schedule, maybe this will help them out, you know, prepare for things like that. I, I look at one one opponent that I look at specifically for the, for the minors going up against is DePaul. That's one of those that they want to try to win on the road. But in order, I mean, you know, you look at Texas, that would be an amazing upset right there. You look at NMSU, that's even an upset to begin with, knowing the talent that the Aggies possess on their team even though it's a rivalry series. But if they're able to get quality road wins and non-conference like against DePaul, that's that's where I start to see if this team is, you know, growing how far they are along at that point and, you know, what kind of team this really is. I'm with you on that one. 11 pass as we continue here on Sports Talk. Hey, guess what we have right now? We have a physical athletics fitness tip of the day. Adrian provides these for us throughout the week and kind of takes us along his journey as he gets uh, uh, his body reshaped. So let's talk about uh, today's tip. That's right, Steve. Thanks to Physical Athletics. Uh, I was out there this morning, 5 a.m. Uh, per usual, 4 a.m. wake-up call. Uh, don't forget to recover after a workout. That's where progress is actually made. I'll be recovering this weekend, getting uh, some rest under my belt, and during a workout, you actually break down, stress your body. It's during the recovery process where your body adapts and actually gets stronger. At Physical Athletics, you actually get recovery programs to help you get right before a big game or just feeling great after a hard workout. They're accepting new clients. They've got athletes at their facility volleyball football players basketball players girls basketball players uh, they've got even tennis players soccer players you name it swimmers as well it's never too late to start your fitness journey you can start it with physical athletics they've got two locations on the far east side at joe battle and off east lake you can get a free one week trial to see what they're all about call or text them at 915-996-4476 to get started with physical athletics adrian thank you very much 505-6009 that is our telephone number as we continue checking Twitter today. This one comes from Ed McDonald at Minor Eddie Mack. Uh, I'm out of town, he tweets. I just want to know if there's any kind of update on our linebacker. How's he doing? 
Wallerstad. Uh, have we heard anything on Cal Wallerstad right now? Yeah, I was uh, I was talking to Colin Deaver, who was at practice yesterday. Uh, he was telling me that uh, Cal Wallerstad is indeed back at practice and, and a good go. So that's good news for UTEP fans, good news for Cal Wallerstad, who really didn't play much of the rest of that game as soon as he got taken out against uh, La Tech. Listen, uh, this team needs that rest week. They just do. I mean, the fact is um, we can rip them and criticize them all we want for play calling and this and that. Uh, they had not had a week off. They need it. Uh, they, they are banged up a little bit. And guys like Cal Wallerstead, who's been one of the defensive MVPs on this team, if not the defensive MVP through the first six-plus games, hey, you need him 100%, especially for Florida Atlantic coming up on that big stretch. So, um realistically would I have loved the bye week to come before Louisiana Tech absolutely that would have been great some fans would have said well you're hurting their momentum yeah you're also healing them after that Charlotte game but you know what um it's fine now they've got to get back to uh, winning again and starting off a week from Saturday against Florida Atlantic get the W's back on track and and get this thing going again you know, the next week, I just, you know, I was talking to Oscar Adietta today out at his location, and we were just talking about how big of a game it is next week against Florida Atlantic. Because, yeah, maybe you, you flip a coin and UTEP beats uh, the likes of Middle Tennessee, Rice, FIU. Those could be three games that UTEP wins, no doubt. But you, you need to get that one win under your belt. 100%. So you're not having to make those last four games must win. That would mean UTEP had to win, has to win three of their last four games. And I don't know if I could see that right there. I could see them going against Florida Atlantic next week and actually beating the Owls at home off a long road trip for Florida Atlantic, but I don't know if I could see them winning three of their last four games. No, they, well, remember, they're going to get a second bye week coming up right. even a little bit later, right? Is that before the UTSA game? Yeah, actually, it's November 12th. That's that weekend. So I think it's right after the Rice uh, game and it's sandwiched in between the Florida International game. Okay, and then UTSA to wrap Correct. things up. Correct, that's right. All right, well, you know what? Hey, Give them a few extra buys this time of the year, and maybe they'll make the most of it when it comes to conference play because it gives them an extra week to prepare for their opponents. That's the thing we also have to remember. Not only, not only do you get to rest, you get an extra week of film, and you get an extra week just to, to game plan. La Tech had that bye week right before the UTEP game, and you want to know something? They made the most of it. That's right, and UTEP this week, very light practice on uh, the minor side of things, didn't practice too much. It was a very light week for them, let a lot of their players just kind of you know do their own thing, visit family, whatever it is. It was It's the bye week. It's something specific for this team uh, in order to go through, and then as far as scouting, they're going to get a chance to watch Owls versus Owls tomorrow. Four o'clock oh, start. Awesome. ESPN Plus. Rice at Florida Atlantic. I think there's a uh, you know you could learn a lot about both of those opponents in this game. Looking forward to it. Just like I'm looking forward to bringing the Foss back with us next. Steve Foster, Vince Papali. They're going to join us coming up right after uh, this timeout on 600 ESPN El Paso. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Yep, you know it's that time. Time we bring back the Foss, Steve Foster, with us for our weekly chat. And for the second week in a row, he's brought a special guest with us as well. Steve, great to have you back. How are you? Man, I'm doing great, and you're absolutely correct. Each week, you know, change it up for my hometown. I like that. I like that. And, by the way, um, we've got with us the one and only Vince Papali right now. Since the Cowboys are meeting the Eagles um, in a primetime Sunday night matchup, who better? to give us the Eagles' perspective than Vince himself. (laughs) Hey, uh, it is great having you on with Foss. We appreciate it, Vince. How are you? I appreciate it very much, guys. This is really a crazy weekend that's going on here in Philadelphia. (laughs) You know, the Phillies are playing right now, 
and uh, they're playing the Braves, and the city is absolutely on fire. And when the Eagles are playing the Cowboys, it, it's, it's a week like you can't even imagine. The rivalry uh, between those two teams is like none other in the NFL from the, from the Eagles fans' perspective because it's all week. It's, it's been Eagles, Cowboys, and now, of course, for the Phillies. And uh, it, it's really a great part. Of, it, it's great to be in the city, and the weather is spectacular. It's in the 70s, and, and it, it's going to be a great. It's going to be a great day on Sunday. The weather, you know, at, at night will be about 60, 65 degrees, and it'll be great football night. So, looking forward to it. Tell me this. I mean, Phillies are right now in a one-one uh, battle with the Braves, and they're already playing uh, game number three as we speak. Meanwhile, well, you've got an undefeated Eagles team atop the NFC East. When things are going great in Philadelphia for both clubs, does the city gravitate to one team more than the other? Well, no, I don't see it right now because they're really gravitating with the Phillies because they haven't been in the playoffs for over a decade. So this whole week, it's been Phillies week, Phillies week, Phillies week. But always that undercurrent, the Cowboys are coming in. But now you've got Phillies, and then you have Phillies tomorrow, and then the Cowboys coming in on Sunday. It's the ultimate trifecta. So, And, and then uh, the Flyers are opening up this weekend. The Sixers just had a great night the other night in a pregame. And, and so it, it sort of reminds me, actually, Steve, of when it was like back in the you know, in 1980, 79, 80, when we had all four of our major pro teams here in Philadelphia excelling at a high level and it's really exciting you know philly is a neighborhood town and they really get into their sports and you know everybody has their 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 misconceptions i think about how intense if not intense but how how uh, rabid the eagle or the philly fans are but you know they're just intense and and uh, they love they love their teams, whether it's whatever the four teams that I just mentioned. You're right, and that's probably why they're so excited about this weekend matchup with the Cowboys. Oh. Uh, it, it's it's unbelievable, Foss. I got to ask you since we've got Vince on the line right now. You know, you've been dead on when you picked in the Cowboys each week as uh, Cooper Rush has been playing uh, quarterback. But this is as big as it gets all season, and uh, probably as much fun as we're going to have all year, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting, and I have to make this known to, to Vince that as of late when uh, his Eagles have been, or he says Eagles, have been great, <laughs> the quarterbacks have been from Texas. Uh, my guy, yeah, that's something. Nick okay. Foles, and now Jalen Hurts, you know, I mean, maybe they should have, you know, figured that formula out a, a long time ago, uh, but they're, they're hitting on all cylinders, uh, Cappy, and man, to to have the Sunday night, you know, my guy Jason Garrett in the booth, you know, former Cowboy, it couldn't shape up any better early in the oh, no season kidding. for the NFL. Jason's going to be in the booth. You know, I really, you know, I, I knew, of course, Jason when he was coaching, but my son played in the USFL, and I thought his commentary in the USFL, USFL booth was just right on, man. He was great. I, yeah. I had never really heard Jason speak and, and doing what he's doing. Yeah, it's it, yeah. It, it's going to be pretty crazy. Uh, you know, at least they've got a they got a good matchup. I mean, last night was a sneezer or a snore between those two teams <laughs> that were playing. But yeah, we 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 got something going here. And you, you know, uh, there I, I don't know what the tailgating situation is that you have out there. I, I've never been to a game uh, at, at at any one of the stadiums. Of course, we filmed Invincible at at the, uh, the original stadium, Texas Stadium, there for a while. But I've never yeah. been there for tailgate. They they will be there the night before, after the Phillies game. I'm, I swear, guys, there will be those that will just be rolling out uh, all night long and, and tailgating all the way through. 
So, so, <laughs> so, so Vince, fans out there, you're going to see the best of the best and the worst of the worst. It's going to be crazy. Vince, I want to, I want to invite you because you just said something. And of course, you know, when it's going to be, it's going to be Christmas Eve. Now, if you can pull this one off, uh, you, you are definitely the man, but I will take you <laughs> to tailgate, uh, at my at my guys Vatos Locos right across from Globe Life Field, which is the Ranger Stadium, and of course also uh-huh. in walking distance to AT and T. If you want to spend Christmas Eve in Texas, we could we could go first <laughs> class. I mean, you know that's that's up to you. But but know well, the invitation is there to always come tailgate in Texas. I appreciate that. You know, I just celebrated my ninth, my 29th wedding anniversary with my wife, Janet, who, by the way, is not a Giants fan in the movie. And I want to see my 30th. I think I'll be spending, you know, I think I'll be spending my time in there. But you know what? Let me tell you what. You know, that, that's a great complex you have there, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's sort of like what it is with, with the Eagles because we've got the Phillies and, the, you know, the Flyer Sixers right there. We've got the three stadiums. Right. And, and it's right. really quite an experience to be a part of all that. Hey Vince, let me let me ask you this: What was the most uh, head scratching thing that they portrayed you in Invincible that you went, ah, not exactly? <laughs> well, the uh, I guess the way they portrayed my um, my love interest, uh, who is you know Janet Cantwell uh, Papelli, and um, and and they, they had her portrayed as a Giants fan and a and a, and a bartender. And in reality, uh, Janet was Kathy Rigby's team on the USA World Gymnastics team back in the Munich days. Uh, Janet did not compete in the Munich Olympics because of an injury, but she competed in the World Games in that same team. Uh, so, um, um, so she was she was world class athlete. And in the original in the original screenplay, uh, they had her coming back from South Africa, where she had been coaching and teaching. Um, and, and she met me at, you know, attending bar at this local bar that I was at. That's a little bit of a stretch there, I could tell you that. But uh, at any rate, they had her coming back as, an ad, as, as, a, uh, as a gymnast. But, you know, what we needed to get is, is we needed to get the NFL's endorsement, and the NFL was kind enough to give us uh, their endorsement to give us then their branding rights so we could call ourselves the Eagles as, as opposed to the pigeons or turkeys. And, uh, and, but they, they had one caveat, and the one was, you know, we'd like your – we like your love interest to be a Giants fan. And she went for it and, and signed off on it, and there we went. You know? so, but in reality, I, I was a full-time school teacher at my alma mater um, in, in suburban Philadelphia, and I, I went to college on a track scholarship. And then eventually at 30, got a chance to, to do the shot in the Eagles. I wasn't a, a full-time bartender and substitute teacher. So, but that's okay. You know, they, they had to do a couple of stretches, but... You know, it, it worked out just fine. Vince, it's funny you, know you said that. that. You know, and I'll tell you why it's funny you said that. Because the same year Invincible came out with Disney, uh, Glory Road came out, which portrayed the uh, Texas Western National Championship in basketball in 66, which uh-huh. uh, was right here in El Paso. So, um, oh, oh, cool. and, and funny enough, there were a lot of creative liberties with the storyline for Glory Road that I'm sure uh, you could relate to as far as Invincible goes. Sometimes they just got to try to spice it up and make it, uh, you know, a little different for the film. <laughs> Well, whatever, you know, it's, it's those liberties you call, and I signed off on them. Janet signed all off on them. Well, you know, what we wanted to make sure, and a P.S. Dick from me always said, it's not a documentary, you know, it's a biopic. Yeah. But, uh, and Coach, Hall of Fame Coach Dick from me, oh, by the way. But, you know, yeah. the thing is, is that they captured the journey. And, and the journey is, it's all about, you know, 
it's our story. It's not my story. It's everybody's story that has that dream. And, and you know, and, and what it takes to have that dream come true and the sacrifices that not only the individual, but everybody around them have to make, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it. And, and so it was really great because, you know, the first, the, I mean, the first game I'm playing, I was, I couldn't even breathe when I, when I came down the tunnel at, 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 at Texas Stadium, you know, where you guys played. I, I, had, I had vertigo. That to, I, I, I'm telling you, I was so, I was out of my mind. I couldn't believe I was playing my first game in the NFL against the Dallas freaking Cowboys, right? And, um, and, 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 they, and they captured it. They got it right, and Jerry Jones was really gracious. He played a dirty trick on us, though. He got my kids. He found out. He saw my kids with Mark Wahlberg, and he, and he took them all into the pro shop, and he put them in Cowboys outfits. And, and, and Mark comes driving down. You know, you know how the old ramp was coming down there? Mark comes down the ramp, you know, on a golf cart, and they're all dressed up in Cowboys gear. I almost died. I, I, <laughs> so, I, I love Jerry. You know, I tell you what, it, the, the rivalry is the rivalry is great. But I, I, I have, you know, Emmett Smith. You know, uh, just uh, uh, so many guys that I'm that I used, back in the day we used to hate, and I just look at them so much. Man, they're like my buddies, and it, and it's a great it's a great rivalry and. And, uh, you know, it, it, you have two teams coming in. The Cowboys are flying high and, you know, the Eagles and we got Jalen. And it seems like everything's uh, everything's uh, everything's blending in very nicely. And it's going to be a great, great and a great, great game. Great weather and an incredible atmosphere. Speaking of great, this is such a great conversation, folks. More with Vince Papali and the Foss, Steve Foster, as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's get back to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you very much, Steve. Let's head over to some news today. Let's talk some, uh, some actually some sad news. Bruce Sutter, a Hall of Fame reliever and the 1979 National League Cy Young Award winner, has died. He was 69 years old. Sutter was recently diagnosed with cancer, and he died Thursday night in hospice surrounded by his family. One of Sutter's three sons, Chad, told the AP. The Baseball Hall of Fame said Bruce Sutter died in Georgia. Sutter is considered one of the first pitchers to throw a split finger fastball the right-hander pitch uh, excuse me played 12 seasons in the major leagues was a six-time all-star and ended with 300 saves over his career let's head over to some more news today Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady has been fined $11,000 for attempting to kick uh, Falcons defensive end Grady Jarrett on a sack in the Bucks 21 to 15 victory over the Falcons last week let's head over to the baseball scoreboard right now we've got a scoring update in the Phil Phillies uh, Braves game. In fact, it was Bryce Harper who got the scoring started in the bottom of the seventh. He doubled to deep left center, drove in a run, and then Nick Castellanos drove in a pair of runs. Now it's the Phillies up nine to one against the Braves at the top of the eighth. This one being televised on FS1. Coming up right after this game, about an hour away from this one, Dodgers Padres out at Petco Park, six thirty-five first pitch and this is game three of the divisional series as this one is tied this series is tied one game to one and it's in san diego tonight in the best of five that's a look at your sports center update for 600 espn el paso i'm adrian broadis
We're talking right now with Vince Papali, Steve Foster here as we continue on Sports Talk and getting ready for that uh, Eagles-Cowboys game. Vince, you tell me, they're the last undefeated team left in the NFL. Do you see this Eagles team as a group that, if they stay healthy, can make a deep, deep run into the postseason? Yeah, I really do believe that right now. You know, obviously the Giants are right, right in the tail and they're doing something. The Redskins, they got away with one last night. So, uh, but, you know, obviously it's going to be the Cowboys and the Eagles. And then, uh, you know, so far they've taken care of business. But, uh, you know, the second half, um, you know, I think they have to be a little bit more um, attentive to what's going on in the second half. You know, they, 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 start, they start pretty strong and hopefully they'll finish strong. So I think they're going to make a great run. And, and you know, Steve, you said the key word and, it, it, you know, staying healthy. But the, the thing with Doug Peterson, who won the Super Bowl for us, uh, you know, his, his next man up, you know, it's a total underdog. And these are the things that look, 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 look what the Cowboys are going through right now. You know, with Dak, you know, next man up, you know, you got your boy Cooper and he's just killing it, you know, and, and um, in Philadelphia, they'd be talking about it. I don't know what's going on out there, but, uh, you know, he, he did next man up and he got done what had to be done. And, and you're just a game off. You win the game and you're playing the NFC East. Very true. Very true. And, and Foss, as far as the Cowboys go, can you imagine, like, we were talking about this earlier. If, if they go with Cooper Rush, which they are, and they lose, it sets up perfectly for Dak to come back the next couple of weeks with the Bears and Lions. But if he goes out and wins and looks good in the win, and then they bring Dak in and he struggles, it's going to be wild what's going to happen in Dallas. Uh, I'm not, I don't think so. That that scenario's happened before with quarterbacks, uh, you know, early. But, they, you know, Dak, just like any other starter, and uh, I'm trying to recall who had sat out and come back and, and, and looked rusty. It's been a few years. Um, but I think overall it's Dak's team. Um, I had the situation I got to go – Kind of back to the 90s with Tommy Frazier and Brooke Berenger. Rest in peace, my man, Brooke. Tommy had a little bit uh, of some skids here, and Brooke Berenger came in and, and took care of business. Uh, but when it came down to it, uh, Tommy was the guy Brooke understood, still was a national champion with the Cornhuskers. And, you know, you just kind of, as Vince rightfully said, it, it's a team sport, next man up. Uh, sometimes you do uh, have to go to, you know, 1A. Uh, Cooper Rush has filled in admirably, a lot better than we probably estimated him to do. But, you know, he's a professional. Uh, and just like Vince, I don't care if you're uh, substitute teaching, bartending. If you can make the grade, uh, they're going to find you. Yeah. You're going to be suited up. And they're going to expect you to perform because they pay you to perform. Well, they better perform at that level. You know, they weren't paying us the kind of money they're getting right now. But, you know, once you suit up, and it's not about money. You know, it's for the love of the game, the way we look at right. it. But, you know, once right. you suit up and you have posture, you're making a great point there that, you know, you, you, there's an expectation of you. And the great thing about Cooper is that, you know, and, and Dick Vermeil says this all the time, there's this great waste that we have in mankind. It's called the waste of potential. So now Cooper Rush is showing the potential that he has that he can lead the team. You know, he's led them for the last four games. The thing is, can he lead him for an entire season? And, uh, you know, and then you have Dak in the backseat. But Dak seems like he's handling it very well. 
And uh, that's really – it didn't really happen all that well, you know, with the Eagles, with, with um, you know, the, with the, the quarterback situation. And, and eventually, you know, it, it cost people jobs. So, uh, you know, it's, um, it, it's a delicate balance, especially with guys at that high level and especially with the QBs. No doubt. Hey, by the way, Vince, when, when the shoulder injury ended your career, um, uh-huh. with medicine today, is that something that you think you would have been able to still continue to play, or did it not matter? That was such a severe shoulder injury. No matter what time uh, era you're, you're getting hurt, uh, you wouldn't have been able to keep going. No, I had the best. Uh, I, I tell you what, I had the best care in the locker room with our, our, our um, athletic trainers and, and also with our medical staff and the surgical staff. What happened is after the, 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 the we, we had, it was against the Atlanta, Bra- Atlanta Falcons, excuse me, in the wild card game, and I had a third degree separation uh, in that game, and I was able to get through the game. As soon as the game was over, I went in and had surgery. And I came back in the first game of the fourth season, and uh, I got a cheap shot uh, on the sideline that reseparated my shoulder, and then I wound up still staying in the game. I had a bunch of catches in the first, qu- first half for me. It was going to pull me. I said, one more hit because the guy was a return the punt return guy and I'm a special teams guy, you know, I says, I just want to get even with him. And I got him. But as I did, as I didn't go in my right shoulder, went in my left and I just, I, I, I dislocated my left. So I had a separated right, a dislocated left. Oh. And I'm 30, I'm 34 years old. I'm the 53rd man on a 53 man roster, you know, at see you later Vince, you know, and I had a TV career waiting for me afterwards. And, uh, you know, went off and did broadcasting for a few years and, uh, you know, it was all good. So now, uh, you know, I don't think that, that, that we had a great staff back then, and uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put a finger on anybody. For me, it was my stupidity and my pride and my ego because <laughs> before the game started, Jaws says, good luck out there, Benny. And I said, you know, Jaws, I'm going to play this tonight like it's the last game I'll ever play. And guess what? I was right. <laughs> so, you know. At least, yeah. At least, at least, yeah. But at least, you know, at least you got a shot at the guy that took the cheap shot at you. So you got, you got a little payback. I got him. Yeah, Hey, well, listen, guys, I, I could talk forever, but I believe it or not, I've got to go out and do another event later on um, with, with these firefighters. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have to roll out, if you don't mind. No, but we appreciate you. talking to you later on. Yeah, it's, it's all good. Vince, thanks but, so hey, much for the know, time. Hey, you know what? Thank you so much for the honor of speaking to you. I've been to Dallas a million times, and, and uh I've been to Austin several times to speak. El Paso, I've been out there speaking. I love the state of Texas. And, uh, you know, <laughs> go, go Texas, but come on, man, it's the Eagles. So fly, Eagles, fly. So it's going to be fun. I hope you all enjoy the game Sunday night. Love it. All right, Vince, take care. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, boss. Thanks, Steve. See you, buddy. You're welcome. All right, bye. That's Vince Papali joining us here as we continue with the Foss uh, for our weekly chat. All right. He was unbelievable. Loved the stories. Loved this, you know, talking to somebody who, if you've seen the film, you understand Vince Papali, what he's all about. He is Philadelphia all the way. Now that Vince is no longer on the segment, Foss, you tell me, can the Cowboys do it? Can they keep rolling and upset the Eagles and uh, deliver the first loss of the season to Philadelphia. You know, here's the thing. Uh, They can. They will really have to do a great job on Jalen Hurts, who's starting to really understand the game on the NFL level. They contain a guy like that who was, you know, what, 26-2 and before he went to Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. Alabama, 
You know, you're talking about a high-powered guy who's got a lot of confidence over his football career, uh, started, you know, Channel View, Texas. And if they can do that, uh, man, a lot of confidence. But I think, and I don't believe in moral victories, but I believe if they play them tough, they're going to get them on Christmas Eve at home. And if you split with the Eagles, you you know, fair enough. I think both teams make the playoffs. I said that at the beginning of the season. I thought the Cowboys may be a wild card. Um, so I'm not uh, right now too far off with that because the Eagles are perfect uh, with the record. I don't believe that uh, it'll be too long before the 72 Dolphins and Mercury Morris pop the champagne again because uh, there will be no undefeated teams in the NFL. Uh, the Eagles will lose, and it could be Sunday night. All right. There you go. Foss giving us uh, his prediction, the lowdown of what's going to uh, take place. Hey, man, as always, enjoy the conversation with you. Thanks for delivering Vince Papali to the show, and uh, we're looking forward to having you right back here with us again next week. You know, Cappy, we talk about this, and, you know, we always want to evolve. And uh, I think uh, having this added dimension has, has done that. Hopefully we can do it for the rest of the season. Uh, I'll I'll reach into my bag of tricks every week. Love my hometown. Love uh, bringing uh, these types of things back to the nine one five, and having you uh, be uh, you know kind of the the ringmaster of it all, and, and just talk some some fun NFL Cowboys football, and, and then also get a chance to mix it up with the opponents. Uh, that I think is an added dimension, and I appreciate you allowing me to uh, do something like this on air and uh yeah we'll do it again next week hopefully the eagles and the cowboys have the same record fantastic he's steve foster folks check him out laying down the law sunday mornings on espn uh, san antonio and also uh with us every friday here on sports talk as we talk cowboys football take a time out come back plenty more in store as we get you ready for football friday night a little more than an hour from now here on 600 ESPN El Paso. And in front of six as we continue here on Sports Talk. Last night, um, Richie Ryan posted on his Twitter account his farewell to El Paso Locomotive FC and the fans and really everybody that uh, has meant so much to him ever since he first arrived in El Paso. I'm going to read you uh, Richie's message uh, from last night at about um, just before 9 o'clock at night. I played my last home game for El Paso Locomotive FC Saturday in front of our amazing fans. It was a very emotional night for my family and myself as this club and city has become home for us this past four years. I always gave everything on and off the field for this team. I was here to help in any way I could, but sadly, last night was the last time I wore the Locos shirt, a shirt I have worn with great pride. I have met some great people in this organization, and I have made some friends for a life, which is most important. To all the fans, thank you so much for your support over the four seasons. It has been a pleasure to play in front of you. Keep doing what you do for this team. And then he tagged El Paso Locomotive FC on Twitter at the end. Thank you and good luck. And that was the message from Richie Ryan. And then um, earlier today, Locomotive FC put out a release that um, essentially said 
that Richie had retired. And it was a little confusing because he didn't retire in that announcement. And if he's going to retire, um, the last thing you need is for the club to make that and not him. In fact, it even says, media release, Richie Ryan retires after four seasons with Locomotive. I found it strange because with everything that's gone on throughout the season, and it was, it's been a bizarre year, there's no doubt. We knew uh, during the summer there were some very, very um, difficult times with both Richie and the club and what was going on, but they resolved their issues, whatever it was, and figured out a way to keep the thing going. But I'm just surprised that if Richie is going to think about retiring, but he didn't make it official last night in his message, why would the club do that? Why wouldn't the club just put something and say, you know, uh, Richie Ryan um, played his last game with Locomotive FC, which I'm the best, but they're essentially, you know, I don't know. It's strange, but it feels almost like they've taken the retirement away from him if he was going to make that announcement. Yeah, can you imagine how many texts Richie Ryan got? Like, congrats on your retirement. And he must have been so confused thinking, I didn't retire. And that's from colleagues, maybe even other coaches who maybe wanted him down the line. I get it, Steve. We're talking about professional soccer here. We're not talking about uh, high school or college. This is a business. But there's also a better way of doing business when you're El Paso Locomotive FC than how you've handled this whole Richie Ryan situation. And yeah, maybe this isn't that big of a deal to some if it's a release uh, sent out by the Locomotive FC communication staff. But that's that is. Uh, you know, another small little weird thing that ended up happening in this large saga of the the breakup of Locomotive FC with Richie Ryan, who, by the way, was probably their best ambassador since they've been here. Now what? Now what's next for Locomotive FC as they enter an offseason full of uncertainty and try to continue to rebuild this roster? I don't know, but they put out a video on his career. They put out like four tweets. And then at the very end, it says, congratulations on retirement. And I'm just confused because if he's going to retire, he's earned the right to let him make the announcement himself. I mean, that's that's the thing I don't understand is that, I mean, it's very possible that Richie is going to retire. But, you know, when you've played professional soccer as long as he has, he should be the one making that announcement, not uh, the club, if if that's the case. So it's all confusing. I read I read his message last night, and it never mentioned retirement. And if he told the club he's going to retire, at least let the man come and make the let, let him call his shot and, and let him announce it when he wants to retire. That's all. Yeah, and I, I believe this is something that I read from Seriously Loco Pod, a uh, great follow. But they they reported that uh, Matt Boehner had a retirement ceremony on the pitch when he was uh, hanging it up with the Locomotive FC. So wouldn't you think that there could have been like a ceremony done by the Locomotive if if he actually was retiring? This is so weird. I don't get it. I just I don't know. I'm um. It's it is it's a strange strange ending to this situation. So I don't know, but anyway, it's a shame. I thought Richie Ryan would be here for life. I really did. I thought he'd become an assistant coach down the road, run the youth run the youth leagues, the development leagues, and just be somebody that just settles in El Paso and his kids grow up here and and who knows what. So it's it's a little strange that after four years things came to an end the way it did. That's all I can tell you. All right. Hey, we got uh, one more hour to go, and then Football Friday Night takes over at 7 o'clock, and it's all happening right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Final hour underway as we continue, along with Adrian Bratis, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. I see Angel Munoz in the house. He's getting ready to deliver Football Friday Night. You said it's week eight already? 
That's right. That is yeah. sick. I can't believe it's week eight. That is nuts. It is, man. I don't know about you, but I feel like it just started. Now all of a sudden we're uh, two months into the season. That is, uh, that is beyond crazy. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, there has been some lopsided scores. There have been games that have just kind of been blowouts uh, over the past couple weeks. But I'll tell you this. This is the week where things heat up. Everything is on the line tonight. There are so many playoff implications that are there. uh, And that makes for a very dramatic football Friday night week eight, regardless of the outcomes across the board. It's very true. Very, very true. A lot of good games. How many reporters we have tonight? I, th- I believe we have like eight. I believe uh, we good. have eight reporters. Solid, yes. That's a solid, licks, a solid mix. Solid mix. And that's up right now at uh, uh, 600 com. In fact, uh, when you go, just go to District Standings, full schedule, and Week 8 High School Football. Uh, by the way, beautiful job by Prep One uh, providing those photos. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff uh, around El Paso. Um, again, we've got um, Mark Miller, Paul McKinnon calling the action. And you look at what's happening tonight, Adrian. Uh, we've talked about you know some of these games. By the way, I noticed that the Anthony Wildcats are hosting the Four Sand Buffaloes. Where is Four Sand? No clue. No clue whatsoever. All right, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I don't even I don't even know what that is. So I'm I'm kind of confused. Uh, oh, it's in Four Sand, Texas. I should I should nice. have known. Okay. I should All have right. known. Um, well, and I'm trying to figure out how far that is. From El Paso. Like, I mean, they're going to Anthony. So, apparently, wow, five-and-a-half-hour drive. It's actually not – it's it's in between – kind of in between um, Midland and Abilene. Oh, okay. So, kind of in the middle of nothing, They're going to drive all the way to Anthony to play that game tonight? Oh, man, that's tough. That tough is all tough. Around. Yeah, that's a tough one. And some of these smaller out, outside the county schools, they've had to travel a lot. I mean, most noticeably like 1-4-A, 2-4-A, like those uh, districts have had to travel a ton when it comes to their district and non-district games. My goodness. All right. Well, that's one of the games going tonight. We also have uh, Bel Air and Isleta. Mountain View. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Let me see here. Is it Bel Air Eastland? No, I'm, I'm doing volleyball right now. Let me get back to football. Jeff and El Paso High. Uh, we've got Eastland, Fra- East Lake Franklin, the game you're going to be at. San Eli and Riverside. Burgess and Chapin. And Pebble Hills and Montwood. And that's it. Yeah, it's a shorter week. Like I mentioned earlier, it's a shorter week. Uh, there are several teams who have buys this week. Uh, you also have 6A who's dipping into some of the buys as well. Uh, but that makes for some of these games being more like kind of like must win or, hey, yep. must watch when it comes to district play. Did you expect Americas and El Dorado to be in the kind of shootout they are right now, 35-28 in the third quarter out there at the sack? I kind of did. Just knowing that Americas kind of hangs in every single game they play, they could play the best team in the district, like how they upset uh, Pebble Hills two weeks ago, or they could be uh, up against a very level uh, competition like they are today against El Dorado. And it's right now 35-28, Blazers up. Mark Moore had a nice touchdown. Uh, El Dorado Colorado goes up with a Ray Estrada touchdown. He is a, a standout for them. Uh, just a freshman for El Dorado. That's courtesy of Felix Chavez of the El Paso Times. Do you feel like these two teams are pretty equal? I mean, not just in the standings. Americas is two and three. El Dorado's one and three. And then overall, Americas is two and five, and El Dorado is three and three. It's interesting, really, because if you look at what El Dorado or what Americas has done this year. They've scored 176 points. They've given up 231, and they're two and uh, they're they're two and five. And you know, it's, it seems like well, I mean, they're better than their record indicates. 
Oh, 100%, because, I mean, the first one is the fact that they knocked off uh, the city's arguably best team in Pebble Hills uh, two weeks ago, and now we're thinking Eastlake's the best team in this city. So, yeah, they, they made us question whether or not we were right on that. Uh, prior to that game, uh, Pebble Hills was 6-0. and They were unbeaten, so that was a huge shock right there. I also think that similarities you're going to find with the Aztecs and the Trailblazers, you're going to find them both being young squads. I mean, you have, of course, the Ray Estrada, who I just mentioned. He's the a freshman. He's just a freshman with El Dorado. He's going to be great. And then Americas has a junior tandem right now in Mark Moore, their quarterback. And they also have Brian Promessi, the running back. He's also a younger guy as well. So you got a lot of youth across the board with both these squads. What do we make of Bel Air, who's off this week, but they're 7-0, and 2-0 in district. Adrian, they've outscored their opponents this season in those seven games. 320-67. to 67. That's right, and uh, not to take away from Coach Eric Scoggin and uh, the Bel Air Highlanders, uh, who've had a great start to the season, I just would say look into their schedule. Uh, unfortunately for Bel Air, they haven't played teams like Del Valle has played. I mean, the Conquistadores go up against Pebble Hills a couple weeks ago, and, and that's the only loss that they have to show for under their belt. Parkland's battle-tested. They've had a lot of injuries under under their team as well, and they're still 4-3. and three. So while Bel Air's 7-0 and start is off, it might be a little misleading just knowing yeah. that they've played uh, opponents who are uh, you know worse than they are right now. Well, and that's the key is there's different ways to schedule your teams. You can you can schedule by testing in the non district, or you can play uh, an easier schedule and then just hope for the best come playoff time. It's interesting because I've always wondered the strategy. Like if you play a tough team and you get clobbered early on. Does that suddenly mean that by the time you play them again in late November or mid to late November, you're going to be you're going to be better for the uh, for for that rematch or or a better quality team? Or if you just play teams weaker than you, but you keep winning and winning and winning and build up this confidence, do you sometimes go into these playoff games play over your head because you're so used to beating up on lesser opposition that when you do play better teams, you're still able to you haven't had that bad loss to think about when you go up. Uh, into the state playoffs. Yeah, it's a really good uh, conundrum on both ends. I think coaches, uh, they, they struggle with this on, on all sides. Uh, I look at uh, you know a, a really interesting program in Eastwood in the way that head coach Julio Lopez likes to schedule. He had one of the state's juggernauts. I'm talking a top 10 team in all of the state of Texas in South Lake Carroll that the Eastwood Troopers scheduled on their, uh, you know, on their season this year in non-district play. They go out there to East Texas, they get killed, yep. but they get road experience. They understand what it means to travel and take on some of these better opponents and who was you know who was the team who was uh made it furthest last year in the playoffs it was Eastwood and it's because I I think it's because they were battle tested early they faced way better opponents and when they had to go up against the the juggernauts of the East Texas worlds uh you you had more um knowledge as to what it takes to go up against them so I think Eastwood by being more battle tested you can look across the board Canyon Tio does the same thing Austin schedules tough opponents Del Valle does the same. Franklin, yeah, Pebble Hills, right. Montwood, they all schedule some really tough opponents in their non-district uh, uh, schedule, and it's in order to try to get them more battle-tested for road games when it comes to playoffs. Jeremy Caranco is going to be out at R.E. McKee for us tonight for that Burgess-Chapin game. What a great stat Jeremy came up with. Chapin leads the series 13-1 and uh, to one with the first meeting uh, in the last five years. Can you imagine that since Chapin's been around, they've defeated Burgess every single time but once. And I wonder, that one loss, 
was Aaron Jones in the backfield for Burgess. Ooh, that's interesting. And now, uh, that's a great stat, by the way. Great job by Jeremy Caronco coming up with that one. Uh, I'm very fascinated by this Chapin-Burgess game tonight simply because uh, Chapin started off 0-4 on the year, Steve. Last year, if you remember, they were a district title winner. So it was kind of a weird year for uh, Ryan Warner and the Huskies. And yeah, you could have chalked it up to younger players on their team. They graduated a lot from last year, most notably their quarterback, Mason Standifer. But this year, they've completely rebuilt their offense around a freshman. There we go with another freshman. It's athlete Davion Singleton, mm. who has taken over at the quarterback spot. He played running back for them earlier this year. And now they have more of a run-oriented to offense to to go along with uh, what he could do offensively. So I really like what Chapin's done transforming their offense in the past two weeks. By the way, um, giving and handing the team to a freshman quarterback, that I won't say it's unheard of, but it is so rare in high school football, varsity high school football, to have a freshman. That would be a, uh, think about this, folks, a ninth grader. A ninth grader who is running the show for your high school football team. That's that's wild to think about. It's kind of mind blowing, and it I've is heard, mind blowing. And I've heard that he can play. Uh, you know, UTEP Zay was telling me that he could play a little basketball. That he's also seen uh, as a varsity player for basketball as well. So he's this, fourteen. Yeah, this guy's going to be somebody to watch in years to come uh, with the Chapin Huskies if he stays all four years here. That's amazing. Well, I'm 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 pretty impressed when you start to think about what he's either 14 or 15, right? I mean, he could be yeah. he could be a fall uh, a fall uh, birthday, so he could be 15, um, or he could be 14. And could you imagine a 14 year old um, who doesn't turn 15 until later this year or next year? playing quarterback right now in high school football. Yeah, and also kind of back against the wall, right? It's not like Chapin's a, uh, going into this one or going into this whole season as like going in with a ton of hype, a ton of excitement on their end. They, they're kind of a rebuilding group right now. It's an uphill battle that yep. they're facing against Burgess tonight, going up against uh, Andrew Rutledge, who's a senior quarterback, going up against Andrew Armandadas, who's a veteran running back in that system. That's a tough team in Burgess right there, and they're trying to beat them in order to try to get a playoff spot in a tough district that's very true that is very very true all right um 13 past the hour as we continue here on sports talk uh, a couple of other nuggets before we uh wrap things up by the way uh, are you expecting uh, franklin to uh, become victorious tonight at home or do you think it's gonna be a very good football game oh man it's gonna be a great game just to peel everything back cougars are coming off a, a very bad loss upset loss to monwood it was just a back and forth game mm-hmm. all the way to the end uh then they had a bye week so now they take on east lake for the Falcons, they're the best defense in the city. They they don't have arguably you know uh, an offense that's going to wow you, so to speak. But defensively, they're going to create a lot of turnovers tonight. It's going to be a tough one for Franklin. But if they're able to make it a shootout like they want to do, I I have faith in the Cougars and pulling off a victory. Now, if Eastlake shuts uh, quarterback Shea Smith down, by the way, just getting a Utah offer recently, Steve. That's uh, that's pretty big for uh, Shea Smith, son of Paul Smith, UTEP legendary player back in the nineties. Um, you know, if they are able to shut Smith down, then I think uh, Eastlake remains victorious and, of course, uh, remains unblemished in this district play. That's interesting. All right. That's a good storyline right there. I like that. Hey, um, by the way, I don't know if you had a chance to uh, hear about this or not, but uh, this is really interesting. This was apparently during last night's halftime show on Prime. So let me play the audio from last night's NFL Prime uh, halftime show. Here we go. Welcome to the Mercedes-Benz halftime show. 
Oh, I better see a touchdown. Like, we need to see a touchdown this week. We went on a drop last week. We survived it. Thank goodness. But we need to see some scoring, and I think we will. Well, Andy Morgan says, will we ever see another touchdown again on TNF on Prime? If you like field goals, Thursday night is the place for you. We've got a real not. barn burner here. Are we still saying that? Probably not. 30 nothing ball game. Oh, if you want to burn the barn. At least we got one field goal, okay? Nice job by Carissa Thompson reading Andy Morgan's tweet that went viral yesterday, uh, and it made it on the Prime Halftime Show. It just goes to show you, all you got to do is hashtag TNF on Prime with something fun, and they're probably going to dig into it. And they dug into Andy's tweet right before uh, the halftime. That's what he said, is will we ever see another touchdown again on on TNF on Prime? It only got 81 likes, 43 retweets, and 18 comments, but hey, it made the halftime show nicely done Andy Morgan very impressed Uh, I'm very impressed as well hey you just got to keep throwing them out there one of them is eventually going to stick and you got uh, guys like Richard Sherman Andrew Whitworth uh, of course Fitzmagic live reacting to your tweet on uh, on the halftime show that's awesome right there and by the way that game was so bad oh my god when you watched Mooney try to you know he tried to uh, keep that ball and then he finally secures it and he's like inches shy of the goal line and the Bears end up losing to the Commanders and then after the game Ron Rivera drops an S and an F-bomb talking about Carson Wentz and misconceptions like oh man there, there is so much wrong with what what did Al Michaels ever do to deserve purgatory and call these Thursday night games I have no clue but yesterday I thought Al Michaels was going to retire mid-broadcast I really did yeah. I mean he, it was such a bad game it was such bad football mm. there's no way of justifying it last week I thought we had a really bad game uh you know w- with the Broncos and how they were how they bowed out against the Colts but now we got this week and, yep. and how bad it was. Uh, I mean, Carson Wentz is a terrible quarterback. The Bears are a terrible team. We we just we don't know anything about both of these squads other than they're just bad opponents. We got lines ringing in. I don't know if they're real or not. I mean, they could be bots. They could be real callers. Hey, um, I'm going to be flying with Angel for the final 40 minutes while uh, Adrian heads out to that Franklin game. So if you would like to weigh into the show, I'd love to hear from you right now, 505. 505- 6009. That is our telephone number. Football Friday night coming up top of the hour with um, Mark Miller and Paul McKinnon. Meanwhile, I'll get to Victor right after this timeout here on 600 TSPN El Paso.